to open the Westminster Confession of Faith to chapter 16. We're looking at section 7, the proof texts. Let me remind you of the key thing to take away from chapter 16 of good works. Section 1. Good works are only such as God has commanded in His holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. Section 7. Let's look at that. Section 7. Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands, and of good use, both to themselves and others. Yet, because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God. They are therefore sinful and cannot please God or make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet, their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. Now, what we have here is five things that are, again, brought out in reference to good works and what makes a work potentially good or how people might view it as good. The matter, the use, faith, manner, and end. Now, The matter appears to be the act itself. The use appears to be the effect. Perhaps in giving a necessary provision, even. But the effect. The matter is the act. The use is the effect. The three that are brought out as being distinctive to believers are faith, which is, of course, um, the heart itself being purified by faith, a heart that believes, having faith there, believing in terms of what ought to be done so that you are acting in faith. Those all seem to be possibly combined together there, although manner, when you look at the proof texts, appears to possibly be the attitude acting in faith. Uh, But manner is typically a way of performing or executing something. Uh, It's the method, uh, the form. But uh, the, the way it's used with the proof text seems to be the attitude and um, we'll talk about that. Uh, then lastly, the end, the goal, the purpose. And that is, of course, to be the glory of God. I think that if I were to try to order these things, I would say uh, you have to have faith. You have to um, have the purpose of glorifying God. And then you have to do something that's commanded, that's the matter. So you go faith, end, matter. And you have to do it using the methodology that God has commanded, and it would typically bring about a good effect. That would be the expected result. But it would necessarily bring about the goal that God intended for it, but it's going to tend towards blessing or temporal blessing or uh, prospering okay so we would have 
faith, end, matter, manner, use. That would be the way that you would want to look for your own ethical consideration at things. And use, you know, what effect it brings about, is not your responsibility. You cannot control that. You desire a good effect, but you cannot control the effect. Um, the other things, you know, acting according to faith, pursuing the right goal, doing the action that God commands in the way that God commands it, is ordinarily going to bring about effects that are desirable. So that is uh, in the short run. In the long run, it will always bring about effects that are desirable. But they might not be the effects that you desired in the short run. Now, back to the catechism here, sorry, the confession here. To the works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter, so the act itself, uh, for the matter of them, they may be things which God commands and of good use, bringing about effects that are desirable, both to themselves and others. Let's look at the footnote there for, for this. Footnote Y. 2 Kings 10, 30-31. And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because you have done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and have done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Right, so Jehu is giving evidence there of not being saved. And so the idea is he's doing something that for the matter of it, it is what God wanted in terms of commanding. Obviously also wanted it in his decree since it's what happened. Right, but he decreed it, but he also commanded it, and Jehu did what was commanded. And there's an external blessing here. Um, and so, that external blessing. But at the same time, Jehu does not take heed, and he does not repent of the sins of Jeroboam. And so, he is viewed here in terms of having done something that is commanded and having also uh, gotten a good use out of it a, uh, a to the fourth generation a dynasty but it's not done out of faith it's not done in the manner that God commands and to the end that God commands is the idea 1st Kings 21 27 and 29 and it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. Do you see how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Now, you see, this is what God commands. It's a matter. And it brings about use. But that's a sort of public, it's, it's almost a, you know, external formalism. And outward forms matter. And they have temporal effects. 
Luke 6, 32-34. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Right? People do the matter and get good use out of it without having faith, without doing it in the way that God has commanded or the attitude that God commands, uh, without the, the goal. Luke 18, 2-7, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither rewarded, no, sorry, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. says. Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? So here is another example of doing good, right? Avenging when it's just, and it bringing good use. The ceasing of the constant prating of a widow, and yet he has no faith. Explicitly is said to have no fear of God. He does not do it with the right attitude, to be sure. The end for which he pursues it is his own quietude. His office is alerting it over, and only because the petitions are such that he would prefer they stop, and because there is not some other thing about the situation that would make him not want to do it, does he proceed. Now, these proof texts help to demonstrate that unregenerate man can do things that outwardly are the matter that God commands, and they can get utility out of it in terms of accomplishing the desires that they have. However, yet, look after footnote Y there, yet, because they, proceed, because they proceeded not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner, according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God or make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. So let's consider this proceeding from a heart that is not purified by faith. Footnote Z. Hebrews 11, 4 and 6. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, 
he being dead yet speaks. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Abel does the matter that is commanded. He does it in the manner that he's commanded, according to the word. And he does it by faith. So he, he believes what is commanded to be the command of God, and he is right. right? He subjectively believes what has objectively been given to us as the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. And we are told that without faith it is impossible to please him. Now this doesn't mean that faith is faith in anything and that can be pleasing to God, right? It has to be faith in the word. So we have to have faith in the faith. We have to believe the revealed word. Both the subjective activity in us and the object of that subjective activity has to be right. Have to be right. They both have to be right. Now, without faith it is impossible to please him. If you do not understand and assent to the revealed propositions, you cannot please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. What does that mean, that he is? That means we have to believe an unfinished proposition. God is. God is what? The idea is we have to believe that God is what God is. I am that I am. We have to believe that he is that he is. We have to believe that he is the God of the Bible. That he is the living and true God, the God with the attributes that the Bible reveals. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so that is believing something about God, a rewarder. Now that rewarding, you can think of it in terms of a condescension in the covenant of works. Right? Because he doesn't owe reward apart from the covenant of works. He establishes the covenant of works and makes it so that he is binding himself to give wages upon conditions. And then in the covenant of grace, he gives rewards even without wage earning conditions being met. So it is impossible to please God without faith. Right? Look, the confession says, yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith. So a heart purified by faith. Purified by faith. We think about the difference between justification and sanctification. Sanctification is a purging, a purifying, a cleansing. It's progressive. The removal of filth. And so without there, without there being any purifying, there could be nothing good there. Right? The, the faith purifies so there's something good there. What's good that's there? The true propositions grounded in the authority of God's word. Believing the revealed word. When you understand and assent to propositions that are in the mind of God and you have a 
rational justification going back to the revelation of God. The God, the, the God who is truth has spoken in his word. Therefore, this is truth. If you believe something grounded on the authority of God's word, you have a justification for knowledge. You have an account of how you know. I know because the proposition came from the mind that knows all. He's given it to me. I have an account for the knowledge. And so when you believe the truth, not just because you happenstantially have invented something that overlaps at some point with the Word of God, or because some godless philosophy teaches you some point of agreement, but because you believe God's Word, that is a purification of your heart. Each point at which you believe the Word of God is a purification, a cleansing away, a removal of filth. And that belief is itself good, and acting on it is good. So moving on. Nor are done in a right manner, according to the word. Now again, manner is typically defined as method. That is, the outward form. So you might say, the matter, you'd say, well, the matter, what am I commanded to do? I'm commanded to sacrifice. And in what way am I commanded to sacrifice? Well, I need to kill the animal, I need to take the, the fat and the hindquarters and do this with it and sprinkle the blood around that. And only this person should do it. So that would be the manner, the method. Um, but the manner appears to be addressing the uh, manner of the heart. The, it seems to be an inward manner. So, nor are done in a right manner according to the word. Footnote A, if I use that to interpret Footnote A, 1 Corinthians 13.3 And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, right, so the uh, feeding of the poor is giving of goods. It's commanded to give in certain circumstances. And then you could choose to give more than you are obligated to give, right? You can give more than 10% or give to somebody who doesn't have an urgent need that you have a duty to give. Although I suppose the listing of the poor maybe defines it in terms of necessity. So maybe I'm wrong. But although I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that seems to be suffering persecution in a painful way, and have not charity or agape, this is love, it profits me nothing. So these are outward forms, and the modifier is the inward attitude the desire for the good of the object. So that seems to be uh, what's defined there. When we look at Isaiah 1, verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who's required this at your hand to tread my courts? Well, God has commanded that they tread his courts. God has commanded that they appear at certain times in the temple. But it is not to be a mere treading of the courts. Right? It is to be a coming to the temple so that there can be performance of duties out of love to God, out of desire to know God, to grow in the knowledge of God. And so this 
the, the lack of charity for the brother uh, is a, a wrong attitude towards the brother, and the lack of love for God leads to a mere treading of the courts of the temple. And so this manner seems to be defined as the absence of the desire for the good of the object or the absence of a valuing of the object, which, again, is not how I would have assumed reading it apart from the footnote. Apart from the footnote, I would have assumed we're talking about the outward forms um, according to the word as opposed to the desire of the inner soul. And that, of course, would not make sense, though, because, of course, the reprobate can do that. The reprobate can keep outward forms as well as the rest of us for at least a time. And so when you think about where this is in terms of order, because it's explaining why the unregenerate are different, and then also look at the footnote, there seems to be no disagreement, even though the footnotes were added after by a smaller group, there appears to be no disagreement there. In fact, it helped to catch me from missing something that I would otherwise not have gotten because I would have been inclined to interpret manner that way. So I hope that was also helpful for you to see that that must be what's meant both in the original writing and the, the footnotes helping us to interpret that uh, after the fact. Nor to a right end, the glory of God. Footnote B, Matthew 6, 2, 5, and 16. Therefore, when you... Do your alms. Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Moreover, when you fast, do not be as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Truly, I say unto you, they have their reward. 1 Corinthians 10.31 whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we have the negative condemning and we have the positive commanding. So that seems rather clear, the end by which we the end for which we should strive is the glory of God, whatever we do. Now when you think about these these elements of how to do a good work and you end up defining manner as an inward thing, then the question becomes, should we reorder it? If it's not an external form, and it's not you know, the regulative principle, what should we do externally manner, which is taught in other parts of this section on good works, right? Like section one. Then we might actually want to reorder from what I said in the beginning. Because if the manner becomes an inward thing, then I would suggest to you, and the end also is an inward thing. 
I would suggest to you that actually these become ways of talking about faith, hope, and love. The end, the goal, is the hope. Our hope is that God will glorify himself. And all of our desires that we ultimately want to be fulfilled, our ultimate good, is fulfilled in God glorifying himself, keeping his word, keeping his promises to bring about the display of his own glory. That's our hope. Our love, our desire for the good of our neighbor and the good of God is the manner. Right? The end is the hope. The manner is the love. And faith is faith. So I think the easiest way to understand what's being said here is that you need faith, hope, and love. And you do the things that God commands. And that will generally have a good use in the short term as well as the long term. Certainly will in the long term. Now, without faith, hope, and love, even doing what's commanded externally and having a desirable effect still is sinful and cannot please God or make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet their neglect of these commanded things is more sinful and displeasing unto him, unto God. So footnote C teaches us that they're still sinful, even though their external actions commanded by God, that they don't please God, and they do not make a man meet to receive grace from God. Footnote C. Proverbs twenty one twenty seven. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he brings it with a wicked mind, that when his intention is, in other words, hateful. A sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. There's the outward form, the, the outward matter, or the thing commanded. Haggai 2.14 Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. The idea there is that the offering, though it's not actually unclean in the outward form, it is unclean because of the absence of faith, hope, and love. Titus 1.15 Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled Amos 5:21-22 I hate I despise your feast days. We're not talking about Christmas here. God hates their appointed feast days. I hate I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. There's a sweet smelling aroma. It's not sweet smelling to him. He doesn't want it. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, those are the grain offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Now, now there's no offering, there's no sin or trespass offering there. There's not a recollection of the need to repent 
to have atonement for sin, to believe. Mark 7, 6-7, He answered and said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Hosea 1.4 And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Romans 9.16 So then, it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. So what we have so far is the inability to please God. And then now we've transitioned to Romans 9.16. It's not that man does anything to make himself ready to receive grace. It's of God who shows mercy. It's not of man who wills or runs. It's God that shows mercy. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's not by the works of righteousness. It's the mercy of God. This doesn't prepare us. God, God saves us not by a preparation of our own works. Does that mean that we shouldn't preach the gospel to covenant children, that we shouldn't baptize them, that we shouldn't catechize them, have them involved in family worship, pray for them? No. We do those things knowing that we have no power to save them, that it depends upon the mercy of God. And we do that with anybody. It depends upon the mercy of God. We should still instruct them to do what God commands. Because it's more displeasing to God. And they not do it. Now, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. Footnote D. Psalm 14.4 Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. Right? They're being condemned for the sins that they're committing and also for their not calling upon the Lord. Psalm 36.3 The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He is left off to be wise and to do good. Right? The, the not pursuing wisdom and not doing good is condemned. Matthew twenty five, forty one to forty five. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick. I was in prison. And you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, but failed to minister to you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. The failure to perform a duty is condemned. Matthew twenty three twenty three. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not have left the other undone. There's Jesus reaffirming the tithe. You should have tithed. And you should have done these weightier things too. Well, are there any comments, questions, or objections about the teaching on the last section here of the chapter on good works? All right. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word, that the study of these texts and considering the doctrine that's been laid out systematically for us by our forebears in the faith would bless us and help us to have well-organized answers. And we ask that you would help us to believe the truth. I ask that you would motivate us to good works. That you would help us to do what you have commanded. That you would bless the doing of those things to bring prospering, cause good use to us and to our neighbor. Father, we ask that you would build us up in faith and hope and love. That we would believe what you have said because you have said it. And that we would see how it is coherent. We ask, Father, that you would help us to see the end for which you have caused all things. And you would help us to confidently desire what you have prophesied and asked us to ask for. You would help us to be a hopeful people, a confident people. I pray that you would help us to love each other and to love you. And we pray that you would use your word to do these things. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the word incarnate.